We have been fighting the pandemic together for more than three years. And more recently, we see improvements in the global situation. WHO has said that the pandemic is nearing a turning point, signaling that the global COVID emergency may be ending soon. Several countries have taken steps to ease their COVID measures and to treat COVID-19 as an endemic disease. Uh, within Singapore, our COVID situation has remained stable over the recent months, despite increased travel over the year-end holidays and China's shift from zero COVID. Our population has developed a high level of hybrid immunity, so the risk of infections leading to severe illness or deaths is very low, comparable to other endemic respiratory diseases like influenza. So having reviewed the situation carefully, uh, we have assessed that it is time to step down the remaining measures in Singapore and establish an endemic COVID new norm. What does this mean? First, we will move from DOSCON yellow to green from next Monday onwards. Second, we will step down the remaining measures. This includes mask wearing in public transport, health protocols 1, 2, 3, public health measures for migrant workers, the use of trace together and safe entry, as well as border measures. And in line with these changes, we will also align the financing support for COVID-related treatments and tests with other acute illnesses. And my colleagues on the panel will elaborate on these later. Third, we will stand down the multi-ministry task force and MOH will assume the management of the COVID situation as it does for other endemic diseases. Uh, these are significant steps we are taking. They mark an endemic COVID new norm for Singapore. Uh, but remember that this new normal is not static. Uh, the virus will continue to evolve and we can expect new infection waves from time to time. But unless it is a very dangerous and virulent variant, we will manage these waves with an appropriate level of measures that will allow us to continue to live our lives normally. Uh, in this new normal, there are things we can do to keep ourselves safe, upholding good hygiene practices, for example, and while mask wearing is optional, uh, we should continue to uphold the good habit of wearing a mask if you are symptomatic and need to go out. Of course, vaccinations and boosters remain very important as our primary defense to live with COVID. And Minister Ong Kang will elaborate on this later together with the MS. We will also continue to keep a close watch on the evolving COVID situation, even when we are in Doscon Green. So we will continue with our close surveillance of COVID, both internationally and within Singapore. And MOH will continue to monitor healthcare capacity. If there is a new and dangerous variant, or if our healthcare capacity becomes strained, then we may have to revise the DOSCON level, we may have to reactivate community and border measures, and we may have to reactivate a multi-agency crisis management structure like the MTF. Uh, we hope this will not happen, 
but we have to be mentally prepared for such an eventuality. And if so, we seek everyone's support to rally together as we have done over the last three years. The government has also reviewed Singapore's experience with COVID-19 these last three years. As we have highlighted before, we are undertaking a comprehensive after-action review to set out what we did right, what we could have done better, and how we can better prepare ourselves for the next pandemic. We intend to publish this report when it's ready, table it in Parliament for a full debate to make sure we collectively draw the right lessons and act on them. Uh, the journey to this point has not been easy. We've had many ups and downs. We've had to deal with many unexpected curveballs and surprises along the way. But we managed to reach this point together because we all did our part. So I thank all Singaporeans and everyone in Singapore for working together with the government and supporting one another through this crisis. Special thanks goes out to our healthcare and frontline workers who worked very hard, going the extra mile to keep all of us safe. A big thank you to also everyone involved in the fight against COVID, including our public servants, our partners in the people and private sectors, as well as unions and workers across all fields, including members of the media, as well as the many unsung heroes who helped us get through the last three years. Thank you all for your labours, hard work and sacrifices. It is because of all of you that we have emerged from this crisis stronger as a nation. On a personal note, uh, it has been a privilege to serve on the MTF. At the start of the task force, I said that serving on this task force has given me a front row seat to see what Singaporeans at their best are capable of. Indeed, I've been humbled by what I've seen over the last three years and by the resilience and strength of Singaporeans. It is this indomitable spirit that has got us through this crisis of a generation and it's the same spirit that will enable us to overcome all challenges in the future and secure a better tomorrow. Thank you. Let me just say a few words in Mandarin. 大家早上好。在新加坡大部分的国人对官兵也已经有了免疫它标志着我国将把官兵当作地方性流行病来处理正式迈入新常态 
trace together her safe entry 的使用等等。另外，抗疫跨部门工作小组也将解散，转由卫生部管理管管理冠病疫情。这并不表示我们可以掉以轻心。政府会继续密切关注情况，并做好准备，在有必要时迅速做出反应，保障国人的安全。在新常态下，疫苗依然是对抗疫病、呃冠病最好的保护。所以，我想鼓励年长者定期施打追加剂，保护自己和家人。这三年来，我们经历了很多，很不容易才走到了今天。这是大家团结一致、共同努力的成果。我要感谢国人在过去三年里同心协力对抗疫情，尤其是前线的医护人员。我也要感谢所有国人一直配合政府的防疫措施，并在最困难的时候团结起来，在危机中互相支持。我们在这次这场危机中展现出的坚韧不拔的精神，让我感到非常欣慰。我相信，只要我们继续上下一心，新加坡一定能克服未来所有的难关。谢谢。I'll ask DMS to speak next. Thank you, DPM. The local COVID-19 situation remains stable, and the Ministry of Health assesses that the public health threat from COVID-19 in Singapore has decreased. Over January 2023, the daily number of COVID-19-related hospitalizations has stayed below 100. And the daily number of patients who require ICU care or who require oxygen supplementation due to their COVID-19 infection remains in single digits. Yesterday, there were 44 patients with COVID-19 infections hospitalised in our acute hospitals, none of whom were placed in intensive care. Last year, we saw 820 deaths related to COVID-19. In contrast, we had 5,400 deaths. For, from pneumonia of other causes, and therefore, COVID-19 no longer uh, has as severe an outcome uh, as compared to other respiratory infections that we see in Singapore. Since the start of this year, there have been few COVID-19-related deaths reported to the Ministry of Health, and no deaths have been reported since the beginning of February 2023. The overwhelming majority of COVID-19 cases have mild infection and recover at home uneventfully. Wastewater testing augments our COVID-19 case monitoring in the community. There has not been any significant increase in the detection of the SARS-CoV-2 virus in wastewater testing samples at this time. The National Public Health Laboratory, or NPHL, performs genomic analysis from swab samples taken from COVID-19 patients as part of our COVID-19 pandemic monitoring framework. We have not seen novel variants emerging in Singapore compared to that already reported in other countries. And this is despite the increase in numbers of flights and the overall number of travellers coming into Singapore, with the relaxation of our border travel restrictions. And while we continue to monitor for emerging and new uh, variants of concern internationally, our assessment is that there is no immediate threat at this time from variants of concern that are more severe or more uh, virulent uh, coming into Singapore. Supported by the high hybrid protection that Singaporeans enjoy against severe COVID-19 infection, from a combination of vaccinations and recovery from previous infection, we recognise that we have attained an endemic new norm, and we are ready to redefine our community protocols for COVID-19 infection. 
from Monday, the 13th of February, we will stand down protocols 1, 2, 3. Henceforth, if you test positive for COVID-19 infection, but are asymptomatic or minimally symptomatic, please exercise social responsibility and minimize your social interactions. You should avoid crowded places. And in particular, please avoid coming into contact with vulnerable persons who themselves are at increased risk for developing severe COVID-19 infection. This includes avoiding visiting your loved ones in hospital or in nursing homes until you have recovered. You should also wear a mask when coming into contact with others who might get otherwise infected from you. If you are infected but have mild respiratory symptoms, please stay at home until your symptoms resolve. But if you have a more severe infection with prolonged or worsening respiratory symptoms or are medically vulnerable to getting a severe infection, please see a doctor who can assess you properly and decide whether you need to be referred to a hospital or community treatment facility for more monitoring. The doctor will also assess whether you will benefit from a course of oral antiviral medications. Given the low numbers of patients with severe COVID-19 infection in our hospitals, we no longer require our acute hospitals to set aside dedicated isolation ward or ICU beds just to treat COVID-19 infected patients. This means that patients with COVID-19 infection will be treated based on the severity of their presenting medical condition with an appropriate infection control set of precautions implemented similar to any other patient who comes into the hospital with non-COVID-19 related respiratory infections. And when their acute medical illness is brought under control and there's no longer any need for further acute care in our hospitals, these patients may be discharged early to further recover at home, irrespective of whether they have fully recovered from their COVID-19 infection. Alternatively, they may be transferred to a community hospital or community treatment facility if they require further rehabilitation. We believe our refreshed clinical policies reflect a sustainable approach to dealing with COVID-19 in a new endemic phase, without compromising on clinical outcomes for our patients. Being in this endemic phase does not mean we will no longer see any more COVID-19 cases or cluster of cases in the community. As new variants of concern emerge in the future, which are more transmissible or virulent, we may see more waves of infection rising from time to time. However, as long as our robust hybrid immunity remains high, we are more resilient to such waves of infection and are less likely to see our healthcare system capacity being overwhelmed. Our hybrid immune protection is dependent on the effectiveness of vaccination and the natural protection following recovery from a COVID-19 infection. Our local data and international studies suggest there is a sustained protection against severe infection derived from receiving the minimum recommended vaccination, which is completing the primary course of two mRNA vaccinations and at least one booster dose. And Minister Ong will be sharing our updated vaccination recommendations. We will continue to monitor the long-term effectiveness of our vaccination strategies and will make changes to our strategies where needed based on the recommendations from our expert committee on COVID-19 vaccines or EC19V. Even as we transit to Doscon Green, MOH will maintain our surveillance of community COVID-19 infections through testing of patients with acute respiratory illnesses presenting at our PHPC clinics and hospitals. This testing will include genomic analysis to identify COVID-19 variants circulating in our community and allow us to detect new variants of concern. 
I urge Singaporeans to cooperate with their doctors and to support our surveillance efforts if they are advised to undergo these swab testing when they see their GP. We will continue to use wastewater testing to augment surveillance of COVID-19 in our community and in more targeted settings like in migrant worker dormitories. And these may provide us with early warning of new waves of infection. We have forged international partnerships to share data and use platforms like the GSAID Genomic Registry to detect signals of new variants emerging internationally, which may have the greater potential for transmissibility or virulence compared to the existing circulating variants. These international collaborations are important to raise our pandemic preparedness. We will continue to monitor closely our healthcare capacity and work to strengthen our resilience against COVID-19, taking in the lessons gained in managing COVID-19 in our hospitals, in our community facilities, nursing homes, and in the community. And if there are signs that a new and potentially more dangerous variant emerges in the future, or if our healthcare capacity becomes strained, we may have to revise our posture against COVID-19. And this may mean reactivating some of our community and border measures at short notice. There may even be a need for our population to urgently receive booster vaccinations to ensure we remain adequately protected against severe COVID-19 infection. And should this be necessary, I seek the support of everyone in Singapore to rally together against COVID-19 as we have over the past three years. We could not have reached where we are today without the support and strong partnership of many. And this includes healthcare workers from different backgrounds working in our PHPC clinics, in dedicated community treatment or isolation facilities, in nursing homes and in both our public and private hospitals. Many volunteers have also stepped forward over the last three years to support our national testing and vaccination campaigns. Others have contributed to our fight against COVID-19 by helping us to develop our policies and plans to procure essential medical equipment and medications, as well as in contact tracing, community safe management enforcement and engagement activities. And I'm grateful for the sacrifices made by all of them and deeply appreciative of their service. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Thank you, DMS. Let's hope this is the last time I speak at MTF. Um, I will talk about three aspects of the endemic new normal. Number one, the standing down of TTSE, which is the Trace Together Safe Entry System. Number two, um, the latest vaccination guidelines for COVID-19, and number three, new financing arrangements for treatment, testing, and care. Let me start with TTSE, Trace Together, Safe Entry. At the height of the pandemic, TTSE has been very useful, um, very important. We use our smartphones and apps. Uh, also, various check-in stations, if you still remember them, at various business premises, and it helped us contact trace individuals exposed to the virus, and by so doing, we can slow down the transmission of the virus. This is just to recap. Our general approach has been to collect and retain data only for pandemic response. But in addition, Parliament passed the COVID-19 Temporary Measures Amendment Bill in February of 2021. And this states that contact tracing data can only be used for investigation or criminal proceedings in respect of a serious crime. Over the past several months, we have been stepping down the TTSE system. We have not been announcing every step, but if we take stock, this is what we have done over the past months. 
since April last year, we stopped collecting TT tokens from individuals who are infected with COVID. In the past, we will ask them for their tokens or their apps, download the data so that we know their contacts. So since April 2021, we have already stopped doing that and we don't take the data. Since October last year, we also stopped requiring SE check-in and that was when we lifted the BDS, the Vaccination Differentiated Safe Management Measures. So no, no, no more tapping before you enter any premises. And MOH has also deleted all identifier contact tracing data from all our databases and servers. It's been done. TT data is retained for one serious criminal case, and that's a murder case. And this is for legal reasons, because conviction can be challenged any point in time. And this is as provided by the law that was passed in February uh, as February 2021, as I mentioned just now. Now, we will take further steps to transit to the endemic new normal. Individuals may now uninstall your TT apps if you wish to. If you have enough space in your smartphone, you can keep them too. Uh, enterprises can do likewise for their SE business apps. Yeah. We also encourage individuals to return your TT tokens so that we can refurbish and recycle them should we need them in future. Some may want to keep it as a souvenir, but the battery more or less would have run out by now. Yeah. So please return to us so that we can recycle them. Um, the TT token return exercise will start next Monday, 13th February 2023. It will run for four weeks and it will take place at all 108 community clubs and community centres across Singapore. With these steps, TTSC system, we will regard it as dormant, but we will have it ready for reactivation should the need arise, like emergence of a dangerous VOC or variant of concern. And hence, we will keep the apps available in all the app stores. We will also keep basic info like registration details such as name, business UEN, contact numbers, so that if ever activated, individuals and enterprises don't have to go through so many steps to reset up and re-register. And that arrangement will put us at a higher and better state of preparedness. Now let me move on to vaccinations. Uh, if you recall, the, and there's some time back, the availability of effective vaccines is a turning point of the pandemic. And our high vaccination coverage is one of the key reasons why we could progressively restore normal lives while maintaining one of the lowest mortality rates due to COVID in the world and arriving at today's Toscon Green endemic new norm. Today, around 83% of our population have achieved minimum protection. Around half are up to date with their vaccination with additional boosters. Many have also recovered from, safely recovered from infection. So in Singapore, we have a very strong, what we call hybrid immunity, a combination of protection arising from both vaccination as well as safe recovery from COVID. We estimated probably close to 90% of residents here have already gotten COVID. Over the past months, our data also showed that this hybrid immunity stayed very strong 
In fact, every month we plot the data and we look at the data, expecting that after a certain number of months, it should start to drop, but it has not dropped. It has been staying high for over a year since someone take their last booster. And it's really because of this hybrid immunity. And this protected individuals from severe illnesses, even if infected with COVID-19. So this is good news. So with this, the risk of COVID-19 infections leading to severe illness or deaths have become comparable to other endemic respiratory diseases, such as influenza or pneumococcal infections, as DMS have explained. But towards the end of last year, beginning of this year, we continue to worry because of three imminent risks. One is the year-end travel season, where many Singaporeans travel. Number two is the northern winter, which is always a time when diseases spread. And three uh, is the shift in China's policy away from dynamic zero. So all three pose significant risks. We were worried about it, but today, those risks have substantially passed. We cannot rule out the future possibility of dangerous VOCs from emerging, but the uncertainties and risk we face now is significantly lower compared to one or two months ago. So in light of this, EC19V has updated its recommendations on vaccination requirement for COVID for the year 2023 while monitoring further developments and MOH agree with these recommendations, and they are as follows. Let me start with the general population. For everyone five years and older, they are recommended to attain minimum protection. That means three doses of mRNA or four doses of Sinovac. No change from previous recommendation. That's why they are called minimum protection. It's still relevant. And having minimum protection is part and parcel of the endemic new norm. And individuals should proceed to get them if you have not done so. Second, the most vulnerable groups, and these are individuals aged 60 and above, medically vulnerable persons, or residents of aged care facilities. Many of them are currently protected by boosters or recent recovery from COVID-19, but this will likely wane over time because of their vulnerable, vulnerable status. Hence, they are recommended to take a booster dose of COVID-19 vaccine at an interval of around one year after their last booster dose, essentially annual booster, very much like influenza. And the difference is, currently the recommendation is 5 to 12 months interval. Yeah. Take your booster 5 to 12 months after the last dose. Now we move to annual vaccination for this group. Third, younger, healthier, less vulnerable persons. They are much less affected by COVID-19 infections, especially if they have already attained minimum protection. Hence, individuals aged 12 to 59 will be offered an additional booster around 12 months after their last dose, if they choose to take it. This is a notch down from the current guidelines, which is that they are recommended to take it. Now they are offered instead. Fourth, young people aged 5 to 11, or rather children aged 5 to 11, they should attain minimum protection. 
they are not eligible for boosters, no change from now. Fifth, children aged six months to four years, they are recommended to complete their primary vaccinations. That means two doses mRNA. They are also not eligible for further boosters, no change from now. We will continue to monitor the situation and track the data. The recommendations will be constantly reviewed. You will notice what I said was EC19 recommended. This is the guidelines for 2023. So they will continue to update that uh, periodically based on pandemic situation and the strength of our population hybrid immunity. Now let me move on to finally financing testing and treatment. Throughout the pandemic, COVID-19 testing and treatment have been provided generally free of charge or at a very low fee for some, uh, practically for all residents. Given that COVID-19 was an unfamiliar disease, it is important that we removed the uncertainties and concerns on the cost of testing and treatment. And we have maintained that policy for almost three years. In Doscon Green, we are establishing an endemic new norm and living with the disease. And this includes practically removing all border measures, all safe management measures, and managing COVID-19 routinely like common diseases. And hence, I seek everyone's understanding that we also need to transit to a new norm or the old norm of financing arrangements. Uh, and we cannot continue with the 100% subsidy that we have maintained. So the following changes will therefore be implemented. First, inpatient treatment in a hospital or COVID-19 treatment facilities will revert to the funding framework of S plus 3M. That is S for government subsidy, 3M for MediSafe, MediShield Life, and MediFund. And this applies to all patients regardless of their vaccination status. I want to assure lower-income Singaporeans that financial assistance will always be available to them to help defray their hospital bills. Second, community isolation facilities, CIF. Not many people remember what they are anymore. We set these up in the early stages of the pandemic for COVID-19 patients who are generally well but cannot isolate at home for various reasons. With COVID-19 becoming an endemic disease, it should be treated like influenza, and there is actually no need for CIFs. Nevertheless, we will be retaining some of them for now. For individuals who somehow prefer not to self-isolate at home, but the individuals will have to pay for their stay at CIF, and because CIF is actually not a medical facility, it's actually a hotel room. Yeah, for you to isolate, and therefore they also cannot tap on S plus 3M. But we will procure them at a fairly low rate, and we will also charge the same low rate for people who want to use it. The third change applies to individuals with acute respiratory infection who seek treatment at polyclinics and GP clinics. With the protocol 123 stepped down, patients will now have to pay for any ART and PCR tests that are required for their treatment, subject to prevailing subsidies and consistent with how we treat other illnesses. On the other hand, we will continue our surveillance program because we will need to do PCR tests on a sample of people every week and so that we can monitor the evolution of 
the virus. And for those tests, they will continue to be free of charge because they are part of our national surveillance program. Fourth, we will continue to offer free COVID-19 vaccinations and the use of oral antivirals in primary care settings, outpatient settings in hospitals and nursing homes. These drugs can help to reduce the onset of more serious complications, thereby reducing admissions to hospitals and reduce the strain on our system and our healthcare workers. And this is also aligned to Healthier SG because when we roll out Healthier SG in the second half of this year, we intend to offer nationally recommended vaccinations free of charge to all Singaporeans when they are eligible. The changes we announced today will be effective 13th February 2023, next Monday. But for the new financing agreement arrangements, we will start 1st April 2023 to give more time for transition. Again, on a personal note, it has been a privilege to serve in the MTF. I joined halfway, but has been a very challenging and very meaningful um, experience. And very thankful that I'm given uh, this opportunity to do my part for this crisis of a generation. While we establish a new norm, my MOH colleagues, we are very mindful that for us, actually, life is no longer the same. Healthcare workers will largely be masked up at work. And uh, Minister Gunn will talk about the new rules. Uh, we will continue to be masked up at work in hospitals and clinics. And it's a constant reminder that COVID-19 virus is still with us. We've got one more disease to deal with. And we've got to be ready for the next VOC or the next pandemic. Our emergency departments in our hospitals will continue to be very busy. They are very busy now. The post-Chinese New Year search has arrived a week ago. And this is partly due to an immunity debt because we took so many precautions and masking during that time and also partly because of an aging population. So in fact, I would say the more society stand down and now we are standing down from yellow to green, the greater the responsibility for on the healthcare system and our healthcare workers. And they know that. And we know that. Hence, today's announcement is significant, but does not mean that the pandemic, or rather the state of alert and preparedness. Let me say that again. Hence, today's announcement is significant, but does not mean that our state of alert and preparedness are over. As I discussed with a cabinet colleague, he said for MOH, we are now in Sanangdiri position, but we are not Galois I don't know whether it's the best anal analogy. For others, you may well be at green, you are Galois but you cannot book out yet. For others, you can book out, but not yet ORD. For others, ORD, but not yet MR. Yeah. But we, we get the idea. We are all taking one step down at ease, but must be ready for the next VOC or pandemic. And especially for healthcare sector, we are still in line. We have to be ready. <coughs> COVID-19 has taught us valuable lessons and helped us build significant capabilities and certainly for the healthcare sector. 
and we will use them to the fullest, do our best to improve the health of our people. Thank you. Oh, later, Q&A. <laughs> Good morning. Uh, indeed, it has been uh, quite some time since we last met at the MTF press conference almost uh, half a year ago. Our COVID-19 situation since then has improved significantly. Even with the recent Lunar New Year festivities and the resumption of international travel over the last few months, the daily recorded case numbers have only been in the hundreds. The number of hospitalization cases, which are more critical uh, due to uh, COVID-19, has also been low. We are now ready to take the next step in our journey towards living with COVID-19 and the transition to an endemic COVID new norm. It, has, it does not mean that there will be no more infections. In fact, there will continue to be COVID-19 infections, but we can now live a normal life while remaining vigilant. Some of the good practices we have uh, developed during the COVID-19 pandemic, we should endeavour to keep them because they will continue uh, to protect our health and to keep Singapore safe. But we are now ready to make the, uh, several adjustments to the remaining safe management measures. First, on mask wearing. Mask wearing on public transport as well as healthcare settings will no longer be required under the temporary COVID-19 regulations and this will take effect from 13th February. However, mask wearing may still be a sectoral or industrial requirement. For example, the Ministry of Health, uh, Minister Ong has mentioned, there will still, under Ministry of Health, it will still be required to wear masks for visitors, staff and patients, particularly in indoor healthcare and residential care settings, such as hospital wards, clinics and nursing homes. This will better protect patients and healthcare workers from infectious diseases and not just COVID-19. On food safety, for example, SAF, uh, SFA, Singapore Food Authority, will continue to require food handlers to wear a mask or speed guard. Private enterprises and industries may also decide to continue mask wearing requirements for workplace safety and health or business continuity purposes. Mask wearing remains a, an effective way to minimize the transmission of infectious diseases. And therefore, we encourage members of the public, especially those who are unwell or who are more vulnerable, such as the elderly or the immunocompromised, to wear masks in crowded places. Second, we will adjust our measures for migrant workers. We introduced the Popular Places Pass in June last year to manage crowding in four designated popular locations among migrant workers on Sundays and public holidays. Now that our COVID-19 situation has improved and we are moving to Doscon Green, we will discontinue the popular places pass from 13 February. We will also align the public health measures for migrant workers living in dormitories with the updated general advisory for the community. From 1st March, migrant workers with mild respiratory symptoms may recover in their dormitory or see a doctor at any GP clinic or polyclinic. COVID-19 tests will be administered only to migrant workers with severe respiratory symptoms such as shortness of breath and chest pains or those who are more vulnerable 
so that appropriate treatment can be provided. Migrant workers who test positive can recover in their dormitory instead of being conveyed to a COVID recovery facility. For those with more serious symptoms, they may be conveyed to the A&E department of the hospital. Third, we will stand down the remaining COVID-19 border measures. The global COVID-19 situation has improved with imported cases having a low impact on our healthcare system. There are currently no signs of emerging variants of concern, but we are monitoring the situation closely. Therefore, we can stand down our remaining COVID-19 border measures. From 13 February, all travellers will no longer need to show proof of a negative pre-departure test, nor be required to purchase COVID-19 travel insurance. That said, we will continue to keep the vaccinated travel framework in place. This will allow us to quickly adjust the risk classification of countries as well as our border measures based on the traveler's vaccination status should the need arise. MOH will also continue to screen travelers for other infectious diseases of concern such as yellow fever, Middle East respiratory syndrome and Ebola. We have come a long way in our COVID-19 journey. Despite the many curveballs the virus threw at us, we have managed to continue our progress in our journey towards living with COVID-19 while keeping our death rate low and our healthcare system intact. This would not have been possible without everyone's support and trust. We would like to express our deepest appreciation to Singaporeans for coming together, supporting and taking care of one another. We are also very grateful to our frontline workers, especially our healthcare workers, who sacrificed personal time and time with their families, putting yourself at risk of exposure as you care for the infected patients. Thank you for your hard work, perseverance and your sacrifice. COVID-19 will not be our last pandemic or crisis. We must always remain vigilant and draw on the lessons we have learned during the COVID-19 pandemic so that we can be better prepared for future crises. As long as we remain united, I'm confident that we will be able to weather any challenges we face. Thank you. Thank you, Ministers and DMS. The time is now 11.20 a.m. We have until 12.30 p.m. approximately for the question and answer session. A gentle reminder that we will take only one question from each media during the Q&A. Please keep your questions to today's announcements and please be brief. May we have the first question, please? Joyce? Uh, ST? Go ahead. Hey, hello, Ministers and DMS. I'm Joyce from The Street Times. Uh, can I ask about, you know, how you mentioned the lessons learned from the pandemic. Can you share some of the key lessons and um, how has COVID prepared Singapore for the next health crisis and how will we do things differently? Thank you. This is part of the after-action review that I mentioned we have been undertaking. We are in the midst of completing that report. Uh, we will, as I mentioned just now, reflect on... It's, it, the report is met, not meant to congratulate ourselves. It's really meant to take an objective look at what has transpired over the last three years. Areas that we have done well, we should acknowledge. Areas that we could have done better, we should also highlight and draw out lessons, primarily with the view to see what we can do better when the next pandemic strikes. Uh, so I think it's premature to talk about them. There will be a full uh, 
opportunity to go through them when we release the report. It should happen soon. And as I said, there will even be a full debate in Parliament on this. Uh, we are doing this now and not you know, waiting till later because we've been uh, doing this over the past year, collecting the lessons, and, and we, want to, we think it's timely to do this soon because the next pandemic can happen sooner than we expect. Uh, SARS took place in 2003, uh, 04. Uh, COVID is 2020. That's about 15 years. I don't think we need to wait another 15 years for another pandemic to hit us. Even between SARS and COVID-19, we had various outbreaks, um, H1N1, MERS, but these did not lead to a global health emergency. So you can expect with all the changes that are taking place around the world, there must be new disease outbreaks. And even with COVID, you, know, you don't know what the next variant will be. So we are taking this very seriously and making sure that we will be better prepared for the next pandemic. If I may just one, one comment, Joyce, you asked what we learned. I think just a reflection for a country I think we all had a great education in pandemics and, uh, and transmissible disease on incubation, on aerosol transmission, on vaccination. I, I learned a lot, certainly even as a Singaporean. And throughout this whole period, we have so many conversations between authorities, between journalists, people, uh, talking very frankly the problems we face, what we need to do. And in that period, I think, build a lot of camaraderie and trust. That nothing can take away. And that, was, that put us in a very intangible way at a much higher level of resilience uh, compared to many other places in the world. Can I just add a, a small point? Uh, I think uh, the details of the AR will be uh, shared in, in, due, in due course when it's completed. But I think uh, uh, we, if you look back, uh, uh, after SARS, we actually put in a lot of effort preparing ourselves. We built the NCID National Center for Infectious Diseases, and it was really just before COVID-19 happened. Uh, we were better prepared for COVID-19, but COVID-19 was still a surprise to many of us because the virus was very different from SARS, even though it was uh, still uh, similarly a co coronavirus. So it, but it behaved totally differently. S similarly, um, I, we hope that the, from the lessons we learned from the AR, from the uh, COVID-19 pandemic, will help us to be better prepared for the next pandemic. But we must also uh, uh, bear in mind that no two pandemics are the same. No two crises are the same. And we must be prepared for the unexpected. Uh, when the next pandemic happens. And therefore, it will help us to be better prepared, but we must also be prepared for the unexpected. Thanks. Hi, good morning, ministers at DMS. So this is Kangwe from Zapao. So can you check with the updated healthcare protocol, are there also changes to the recommendation for leave and work arrangements? So in terms of now, COVID patients actually receiving, I think most of them are receiving five-day MC, as well as those who are tested positive don't have to go and get MC and get leave. Like, will this recommendation for employers and employees change as a result of this updated to healthcare protocols? Thank you. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, we will be uh, clarifying uh, some of these details with our healthcare professionals. Uh, they will now uh, take the opportunity when patients come to see them to do uh, individual assessment as to whether or not uh, these uh, patients uh, need to be better supported with uh, medical leave. 
This is not different from the assessment that is normally done for any other infection. So we're treating COVID-19 as for uh, other infections in a very similar manner. Uh, and we're moving away from mandating specific durations of uh, leave that, uh, that have to be taken. Uh, so this is a more enlightened approach, and I think it's in keeping with uh, our approach towards uh, moving to more sustainable response in an endemic new norm. Uh, companies uh, would still be encouraged to respect uh, medical leave that's been given by doctors and, and to provide ample opportunities for their employees to recover uh, safely from the infection. But uh, the circumstances may differ uh, uh, from company to company for, for different individuals, depending on the work situation they're in and uh, how their infection manifests. Shalene, CNA. Hi, Ministers and DMS. Thank you for the uh, thoughts. I want have a question about with the new vaccination requirements. What will the role of vaccination centres and JTVCs be moving forward? Will they possibly um, continue to be a stable, or will they be stepped down to allow for more space, more manpower for other healthcare needs? Thank you. We will keep them because it has been very useful. Uh, also, put us in a higher state of readiness. But of course, we will continue to review the demand supply equation. If we don't need so many, we will step down. If we need more, we will open up more or have more shifts. And so this is a operational, a dynamic operational uh, situation. Yes. Also, I think it's more convenient for many people. Mm. Yeah, following Channel 8. Hi, Ministers and DMS. Uh, my question is on vaccination. So it will remain fully subsidised until further notice. So with the latest uh, recommendation for 2023, am I right to assume that at least for 2023, it will be free? And are we exploring making it free permanently? And also, uh, just one more part on... Uh, because the EC recommends that those above 60 will have to go for additional booster. So some of the elderly may have already taken their fifth one, so now it will be their sixth one. So what is the significance? Is it really necessary for them to take a sixth booster? Because I think a few, many of them are actually wondering. Would appreciate if you can get a reply in Chinese as well. Mm, sorry for interjecting. A gentle reminder to keep the questions to just one. Thank you. One with three parts. Huh? So <laughs> you want that answer to be in Chinese or English? Both. Okay. Uh, yes, it will be free. And we are also exploring, as I mentioned, under Healthier SG, nationally recommended vaccinations will be offered free because it's a very good preventive step. So COVID-19 vaccination is not yet becoming a national uh, recommendation because the situation is still evolving. But in the process, we are keeping it free. And at some point, when things stabilize, let's say 2023 guidelines is same as 2024, same as 2025, then we are, have reason to believe it is now stabilised, and then it may become national recommendation, which means it will become permanently free under Healthier SG. As for um, seniors who are fifth shot and looking at their sixth shot, my suggestion is this. The way we think about, once we say endemic new norm, we got to be thinking about COVID-19 like we think about flu. Flu is always recommended, take your shot every year. In the West, it's very common. You always take a shot towards winter. Uh, and so, 80-year-old uh, don't count that this is my 20th shot in my lifetime. You, know? you just take it every year. So I hope this is the mindset we take every year. If you are a vulnerable group, especially seniors, people who are medically uh, compromised, uh, take one shot every year. Yeah. Um, 
用华语回答。嗯，是不是免费？二零二三年肯定是免费。在我们的健康 SG 的政策框架下呢，呃，我们政政府和卫生部所推荐的接种的疫苗都会免费。因为这是预防性的一个非常好的措施，所以会是免费的。所以我们当然正在探讨冠病的接种能不能将来成为国家性的这个推荐。就呃，如果可以的话，然而就变成免费，就是以后也是会免费的。嗯，第二点就是年长者呢接种了第五剂，那接下来就第六剂会不会接种的太多？我们说。患病成为流行性疾病呢？我们的想法叫跟流行性感冒没有什么分别。流行性感冒每年接种一次疫苗会保护自己啊，呃，所以患病也是如此。我们不需要去算我们一生人打了几剂啊啊！有些年长者在西方国家已经打了二三十剂了，因为每年打一次嘛。所以只要记得流行性的疾病呢，每年打一次疫苗就能保护你。Uh, if I may extend uh, uh, Mr. Ong's uh, uh, reply concerning vaccinations for the uh, older and, and more at risk uh, uh, members of our population, uh, the majority of our seniors actually would have uh, received four vaccinations, and this year, if they go for the vaccination, they would have fifth. It's actually a small number who had been vaccinated very, very early on in our national vaccination campaign that now would be hitting the fifth year. When the EC19V uh, uh, discussed the issues with uh, recommendations for vaccinations for high-risk uh, populations, we are mindful about the duration of uh, protection that uh, the current vaccinations uh, provide. But we are also uh, aware that our vaccines available in Singapore have been refreshed. And now we offer the bivalent uh, vaccines as opposed to the previous uh, vaccines that were more orientated and, de and uh, designed for the wild-type variant, which actually no longer is in circulation. And, and in order then to better protect these seniors and our at-risk population using the bivalent vaccine, which now gives us the best protection for the current vaccines that are circulating and the best protection for future vaccines that may be uh, emerging, we think it's a good idea, therefore, for those of our seniors who are at risk to get themselves vaccinated at least with one bivalent booster, and that constitutes the recommendation for vaccination this year. Uh, but our EC19V will continue to review the evidence and make further refinements to this recommendation that may therefore apply for, for subsequent years. We've also looked at very carefully, not just at the effectiveness of the bivalent vaccines, but at, safe, uh, at safety uh, issues. And I think um, this was also mentioned in Parliament very recently. Our data and our experience does not show a difference in the safety profile of bivalent vaccines as opposed to the traditional vaccines that we have previously offered. Uh, the side effect profile, the risk for getting side effects is not dissimilar. It's certainly not increased. And because of that, we feel confident in still continuing to recommend the bivalent vaccines for our seniors. And we think it's relevant because it better prepares them uh, to, to deal with future variants as they come. Um, Dikang 
感染而恢复，嗯，感染上冠病过后安全的恢复了，就变成一个混合免疫力。这就是我们能够今天转到呃一个新常态的主要原因。我们的混合免疫力很强，要把这个混合免疫力继续的呃维持在非常高的程度呢，因为冠病不是一个轻微的疾病。是一个相当严重的疾病，只是我们的抵抗力提高了，因为有混合免疫力。如果要继续的免免呃保持在很高的水平，我们的年长者比较弱势的一群，还是要继续接种疫苗。我们要记得，今天所宣布的一切措施都降级了，降级了，但是不至于说我们完全掉以轻心啊，因为这个新的疾病。已经在我们的生活当中变成一个流行性疾病，所以今天的主要的转捩点就是，冠病呢从一个国际性的危机，已经变成一个流行性的疾病。我们从提心吊胆，现在已经变成居安思危，但居安一定要思危，这就是今天呃所重要的呃的的宣布啊。The Li Chengbei. If you have a question to ask, please raise your hands. Yes, go ahead. Hello, I'm Mona Lisa from Tamil Murasam. So my question is: uh, Certain countries having imposed travel restrictions. For instance, India has mandated a COVID-19 negative test report for travelers from six countries, including Singapore. In this situation, will this not impose a lethargic mindset amongst the public? What was the last part? Well, the the last question, the last part of what you said. What okay. did you say? Well, the will does not impose a lethargic mindset amongst the public. Lethargic mindset amongst the public because of the border restrictions from other countries. We have to understand that every country's situation is quite different. It also involves the preparedness of the healthcare system, the vaccination coverage of the population. As well as at the ability to respond uh, to uh, new waves of infection, so different countries will have different border control measures to protect themselves and to ensure uh, safe travelling. And uh, uh, for Singapore, we have removed all our border controls uh, mainly because our healthcare system uh, is is very strong. We have a very good healthcare system, but at the same time, our local vaccination rate is very high. Our immunity level is very high. And that gives us the confidence to open up our borders. But uh, we will not be able to comment on other countries' uh, measures uh, because it also depends on the uh, local situation in these countries. Uh, for Singaporeans who want to travel to India or any other country, it is important for them to check on the travel advisory from these countries so that they must comply with the requirements. Uh, uh, beyond uh, India, uh, other countries may still have travel uh, uh, measures, uh, uh, border measures, and these measures may change from time to time. So before you travel, we advise Singaporeans to please check the travel advisory of the respective destinations you, you plan to go to. And if you go to multiple destinations, please check each one of them. They may be very different so as to ensure that you are able to comply with the requirements before you travel. Coming to Singapore, no need for tests, so you wouldn't be lethargic coming to Singapore. All right. Any other questions? Yes, at the back. Okay, sure. Hi, ministers. Uh, I'm 
journalist from the China Central Television. My question is now, we knew the, a lot of the business and the waste between Singapore and China. And we heard the airplane number will increase between China and Singapore in the coming months. Do you have some information about that? Uh, airplanes and numbers, yeah. Uh, I think um, the Ministry of Transport has been uh, uh, progressively announcing additional flights between uh, Singapore and the other countries, uh, not just China. Between Singapore and China, of course, uh, we are also planning to continue to increase the number of flights as and when the airlines are ready and as and when uh, the airport facilities are ready to receive additional flights. And it is some, very often it is not just uh, uh, whether Singapore is ready, uh, the other destination also has to be ready. Uh, because um, the flights are uh, both sides. So whether departure or arrival, we have to make sure that uh, facilities on the ground are ready to receive additional flights, additional passengers. This will also involve uh, uh, expanding the manpower capacity, training the manpower so that they are able to cope with the increased uh, workload. Uh, you can re remember that just a few months ago, uh, air travel was still uh, very low, and therefore the time needed to ramp up the capacity uh, can be quite significant uh, for many uh, destinations. So it is a bilateral issue that we need to continue to discuss with the airlines, with the airport at, at the other end of the travel, to make sure that we are able to sync up uh, the um, uh, management to make sure that the traveling is uh, uh, facilitated and uh, is trouble-free. So I think uh, it is something that we will continue to work on, and we look forward to uh, um, uh, more flights, more flight connection between Singapore as well as the rest of the world, so that we, uh, uh, whether it's business travel or holiday travel, uh, we will be able to resume and to grow uh, as quickly as we can. MOH has also been monitoring uh, um, imported uh, cases that were reported to us. And uh, for, for China, as the flights have increased, we've actually, uh, in keeping with the reports coming out from China, that they've passed their, their peak uh, and numbers of cases uh, are coming down. We've also seen a steady decrease in inbound uh, uh, infections amongst travelers coming from mainland China into Singapore. Uh, in particular, for the last uh, one week, we've not had uh, any uh, uh, severe cases uh, coming in. Uh, in fact, uh, no cases reported in the last seven days uh, coming in from China. And this gives us further uh, confidence that uh, the carefully calibrated opening of our borders uh, is not a public health threat to us. Uh, we continue to look at where imported cases come, and they come from all countries and all regions. So it's not uh, particularly only in Asia. We see uh, uh, imported cases coming from other uh, countries as well. And, and uh, at this time, uh, because they are not severe, they don't uh, pose any burden on our healthcare system, it is not a public health threat. Other questions? Yes, on, go ahead. Hi, uh, Eugene from today. So uh, this question is from Mr. Ong. Mr. Ong, you said in Parliament last year that the DOSCON framework will be reviewed after the triggered panic buying in 2020. So I'm just wondering, are there any details or updates you can share about this review? Sorry, what's the review again? The um, I believe you mentioned sometime in Parliament on around May 9 about the review for the DOSCON framework. Now. So we know when it was... Um, change from uh, yellow to orange, you know, it triggered panic buying in 2020. Yeah. Well, so if you recall, DOSCON's status is actually an internal guideline for authorities and agencies to guide us in our 
state of preparedness. But when we change DOSCON level and so many civil servants and agencies know about it, we might as well make it public too. And indeed, the public knows about it and that therefore lead to some panic buying in the early part of the pandemic. So it was in that light that we want to review it to see whether there's a better way of communicating our state of level of preparedness to the public that's different from what we communicate internally. Yeah? Because... You must remember, agencies, we tend to over-prepare because we are responsible for reacting and responding to contingencies. But in preparing, we don't want to end up causing undue anxiety to the public as well. So this definitely will be something that we should look at in the AAR. And in time to come, uh, we will be able to present our recommendations. Great. Philip? Uh, Phil Hyman's from Bloomberg. Um, first of all, thank you for protecting us these last three years. Uh, it's been very safe in Singapore, and I appreciate that. Um, I just wanted to ask retrospectively, you know, I wonder if there was any particular decision that you felt was maybe the most consequential in terms of, um, you know, causing cases or something like that, um, yeah, was there one particular decision that perhaps you regret or would have changed? Yeah, you are asking a lot of questions about what is in the AAR, which in fact does highlight some of these uh, reflections. Because as I said, we, are, we, we have been reflecting on what we have done well, but what we could have done better. And I think looking back at the last three years, one, one knows that there were key points during the crisis, where which, which we had to handle, uh, starting with what we do for borders, particularly at the start of the pandemic, when there was so much uncertainty, how do we manage people coming into Singapore, returnees who wanted to come to Singapore? What sort of border measures should we have put in place? And then we had the outbreak in the dormitories, which was a major challenge for us because of the way of living in the dormitories and how fast and quickly it would spread. We knew that was a major challenge, which then led to the circuit breaker, which was a very consequential decision. And then, of course, after that, we've had to deal with wave after wave after wave. Uh, so all of that will be in the report, the last three years of the different phases of COVID, uh, what we feel might have done better with the benefit of hindsight, of course, and then thinking about how this will improve our decision-making and responses for the next pandemic. Uh, as Minister Gan said just now, uh, we have to be careful too because the lessons from this pandemic, I think, will better prepare us for the next pandemic, but we should not uh, fall into the trap of hard-coding these lessons into rigid doctrines thinking that the next pandemic will be the same as COVID. It may very well be different, and that means we have to learn, improve, but at the same time, always have that ability to be adaptable and nimble and improvise to new situations. Uh, so that's, I think, all as much as we can say now, because you will see everything when the report is published eventually. Can I just uh, give my take on the, uh, your question? Uh, I think we are where we are today. Uh, it's, a, uh, it's a consequence of a whole series of decisions 
actions, reactions, and uh, whatever happened. Uh, so it's difficult to pinpoint which are the most difficult, most critical decisions or actions. But I would say that overall, uh, uh, what differentiates us from many other countries is the trust that we have among our people, trusting one another, uh, depending on one another to look after each other, and the trust between the Ministry of Health and the healthcare system, between the patients and the healthcare providers, um, between the workers and employees, we all work together between the government and the private sector and the people. I think that trust makes a big difference in the, uh, how we have arrived here today. So I think I also want to take this opportunity to once again thank Singaporeans for their support for whatever we have decided to do, and, uh, and uh, their support has made a great difference to our uh, outcome today. As we all get to give a bit of our take before we release the AR report, talking about trust, I think one policy that I think will etch in my mind, I'm not saying this is the most important, the etch in my mind that bring forward this word of trust is when we switch to protocol one, two, three. Uh, because we had accumulated so many rules and people start telling us we are more afraid of your rules than we are afraid of COVID. And we say, okay, better press a reset button than just come up with three rules. I came up with four. The staff say not good enough. We reduced by one. So it became protocol one, two, three. But one, two, three really at the end of the day is authorities saying we trust the people. These are the guidelines and you will do your part. And now you can understand our guidelines, which they do. And people really did their part. And so that's a very good example of trust. We trust that. People trust that we know the problem and we'll do something about that. And we came up with a solution trusting that people will do their part too. So that was, uh, I think, a good illustration. Having said that, this is like playing in the football league. One match may be over, season, first half of the season may be over, that, but it is ongoing. So a good decision now, months, years later, may prove to be wrong. So we will not prejudge. And certainly the tabling of the AAR is a stop take, but definitely wouldn't be the final word in this long battle against uh, humans and between humans and pandemics. Maybe just a last round of questions. Yes. Okay. Okay. Hi, Avina from BH. Just a quick question. Um, when can we expect the AAR to be released and tabled in Parliament and debated fully? Thanks. It will be soon. It's not going to be that soon because we've have a, we will have budget next week and we have a season of Committee of Supply, so it can't possibly be during that period. But after that, we will you know, take a look at the schedule and we'll see how, uh, when would be a good time for, for doing so. Uh, Chiu Tong from CNBC. Just want to clarify regarding mask wearing. You mentioned that it is no longer required in indoor healthcare settings, um, but also mentioned that it's required for visitor staff and patients in residential, etc. So what are the situations where someone would not need to wear masks in an indoor healthcare setting? Thank, uh, thank you. you very much for the question. Uh, we've discussed this with our healthcare clusters and as well as um, uh, some of our leads in our hospitals. Uh, and uh, they have all uh, agreed that we will continue with uh, the requirement for mask wearing in areas where patient care is delivered. So that includes situations where healthcare workers are working in those settings, patients are there, uh, visitors coming into our wards, into our nursing homes, into our clinics, in uh, healthcare facilities uh, will have to wear a mask. 
But if you are in uh, an area in the hospital which is not related to uh, to uh, uh, delivery of care, you know, you've gone in and you've gone to the cafeteria in the, the hospital, and some of our hospitals are very close to even uh, other F&B uh, and, and, and shops, uh, there's no requirement from us uh, for that purpose. Uh, the hospitals will look at their operational requirements, the setting, and to see whether or not there are opportunities to lighten up and, 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 and minimize that burden for mask wearing in those settings. So, so it's a more refined uh, policy position, but uh, the base principle of requiring mask wearing in care areas uh, still remains. Uh, this is uh, uh, the, the policy position that our hospitals will be uh, adopting. Uh, let me just clarify uh, today's announcement is that uh, uh, the mask wearing in the hospitals and healthcare settings is no longer a COVID-19 requirement under the regulation. But the hospitals and various institutions, including SFA, for example, have their own regulation and rules, and please observe those rules as part of parcel of their uh, own uh, practices. But they are no longer under, uh, required under the regulations. May I check if there are any last questions? Yes, go ahead. Uh, I'm Chen Ling from Reuters. So my question is, uh, is, which decisions do you think were the most helpful to help Singapore to achieve such a high vaccination rate? Thank you. Uh, I'll answer it. Uh, it is the individual decisions of people living in Singaporeans, uh, Singapore to take the vaccine. That collectively was the, were the best decisions. It was, it, I, I think it definitely Singaporeans did their part. But if you look at the entire uh, process of getting vaccination, vaccinations were so critical for us in coming to getting to where we are today. So from the point where we decided to take some bets on the vaccines, which turned out to be correct, uh, to mounting a huge nationwide operations uh, across all of Singapore, and then thirdly, reaching out to the seniors. We started with seniors first. We mounted uh, lots of campaigns to engage them, to inform them, to reach out to them. Even mobile vaccine teams going out to those who need help. I think all of that played a tremendous role. But of course, at the end of the day, Singaporeans themselves responded. And it goes back to the very high level of trust that we have between the government and Singaporeans and everyone in Singapore and also amongst people in Singapore themselves. And we want to make sure that as we look ahead to the future, uh, we maintain that strong sense of solidarity and trust because that is critical in dealing with any future crisis. Any last questions? All right then. Thank you, Ministers. And Oh, there's one. Sorry. Uh, sorry, just a moment. Um, the mic is coming to you. Sorry, some small stuff. So, anything about COVID MCs, will it still be available going forward? And then also, um, you know, our ERT kits, right? Um, you know, what are we going to do with that stash? How many do we have? I don't have the number, but where we can, I think we'll continue to do distribution. And we just did one. Yeah, so that can continue. Bearing in mind, now ART kids, you have to pay for them if you are in clinics, uh, subject to prevailing subsidies. As for whether they are COVID MCs, once we reach an endemic COVID new normal, MC is MC. Uh, MC should be MC, whether you have uh, stomach flu, influenza, whether you have COVID, I think uh, doctors will issue MC based on clinical condition 
of the patient. Uh, I think DMS answered that earlier. Yeah. Okay, I think this is the last question. So um, once again, this because the MTF is standing down, this will be our last MTF press conference. Doesn't mean that there will be there won't be future press conferences on COVID or other you know the, how the virus evolves. But officially, it will be our last MTF press conference. So on behalf of all our colleagues at the MTF, all the officials in the MTF, we want to say a big thank you to everyone in Singapore for walking this journey with us in the last three years, fighting COVID together and enabling us to get to where we are today. We are standing down, but as many of my colleagues have said in this panel, we are continuing to maintain a high level of alertness and preparedness. So we are operationally ready to use the words of the SAF. Anytime the button is pressed, we will stand up again because our framework, our structure continues to be in place across all the measures and even for our crisis management um, processes. So if need be, we will activate and we will put in place the necessary measures, responses and structures to deal with new situations should the need arise. And finally, for members of the media, uh, all of you here, I just want to also acknowledge and thank you for the roles that you have played. Uh, some of you have been with us from day one. You have uh, you know, seen through weekly, maybe even daily meetings at some point. You have gone through changes in formats from like this to groups of five to groups of eight, back to five to virtual, all sorts of changes. But I also see some new faces. So obviously you have also rotated because not everyone has been following it from the first day. Um, you've also had to make rotations and changes in order to maintain, ensure sustainability within your own operations. But thank you for doing your part to help communicate all the information that we've put out to Singaporeans and to everyone in Singapore so that we can all get the right information and respond effectively in the last three years. So thank you very much for your assistance. Thanks for tuning in.